Yesterday we talked about Netlify and today we're talking about Begin.com. Superficially quite similar in the sense that they also emphasize a Jamstacky approach with uh, pre-built HTML and then serverless functions. But I think very different in their focus on being able to host on your own infrastructure rather than Netlify's infrastructure and in being able to expose full stack primitives like queues and proxies and DynamoDB tables and WebSockets and a bunch more. And I just think it's a really interesting approach. Uh, doesn't seem to have caught fire yet for whatever reason, but I think that Brian has been cranking away and maybe has arrived at a coinage that might take off the functional web app. So this is going to be a two-part discussion. The first part focuses on Architect, which is the open source framework that is deployable to your own infrastructure. So let's talk about some of the tools you've been building lately or well, relatively lately. Let's start off with Architect. What inspired you to create Architect and how does it compare to like the other offerings, for example, Amazon CDK? Yeah, totally. So Architect was born out of a, a need to have an infrastructure as code solution that was terse and, and quick to author. So we, we started build for AWS. Sort of the happy path is to go down the CloudFormation road. But early on with Lambda and API Gateway and DynamoDB and all these other services, there actually wasn't very good CloudFormation support. And so we had to augment it with our own stuff. And we ended up building up our own uh, infrastructure as code format. And actually, maybe I should take a couple steps back and talk about what the hell is infrastructure as code before I get into why I built an infrastructure as code thing. So it, when you're starting with the cloud, one of the first things you'll do is you'll go into a web console of some kind and you'll click around to provision cloud resources or primitives. If you need a database, you'll click on you know RDS and you'll say, create me a database. If you need an S3 bucket, you'll navigate into the S3 console and you'll create a bucket. And that works really great and scales super well to a team of one. As soon as you have two developers and you need to reproduce the environments that you're creating, it falls apart. And typically what you'll see in sort of less mature cloud ecosystems um, providers is a checklist. So it'll be like, okay, go into the console, you click this thing, and then you add that thing, and then you click this thing. And checklists, as you probably can guess, are pretty error prone. Humans will mess that up. And if you have a really, really complicated system with lots of resources, it's going to be almost impossible to reproduce in any reasonable amount of time. We want to be able to reproduce our code base at any given SHA, ideally within a few seconds. And we need to do that in order to reproduce bugs, in order to fix them. If you can't reproduce this stuff and you got to follow a checklist, you're going to run into the, it only works on my machine problem. So infrastructure as code is a concept very similar to lock files. If you look at like package JSON, we tell our node process, hey, I need these things to work. And then it'll ostensibly have those things and it'll work. So infrastructure is code, same idea. We have a manifest file and we say, I need these things to work. And then when I deploy, those things will be there. And that's really it. So CloudFormation is the granddaddy. If you look at AWS CloudFormation, I think the top um, sort of stanza says what year it was made and it was 2011. So that's just how far ahead Amazon is from everybody else. They've been doing this stuff for over a decade. Problem with CloudFormation is it's been around since 2011. <laughs> so it's been added onto and accreted more and more stuff over the years and it's grown in complexity and really become quite verbose, and very hard to uh, grok. You can't just look 
at a CloudFormation document and understand what that application is supposed to do. And that's a problem. So we created Architect so that we could have a high-level format for defining cloud resources that would reproduce identically every time by compiling down to CloudFormation. It's a declarative format. It's kind of like YAML. And actually, we do support YAML and JSON if you don't like our format. And, uh, and yeah, it's great. So, you know, if you need a database table, you can just say, give me a table and name it this thing. If you need a route, you, you define that route and it will point it to the right Lambda function for you and wire it up to API gateway and set up all the parameters for you and all the IAM role and all that good stuff. And so, yeah, architect's really a high level format for, for generating deterministic cloud resources, but it's also a local development environment. So over the years, one of the things we learned about Amazon was that it's quite stable. This is actually sort of unique among cloud providers. They, they don't break you. Uh, they don't ship breaking changes. They just add new revisions on top. And so you can opt into newer APIs if you want, but the old ones will work forever. And so because of that stability, we found you can mock it quite safely. And because you can mock it quite safely, that means you can run it locally, which is really nice. So sometimes people say, oh, you can't run the cloud locally. And they're right. You know, there's no way I'm going to get the same throughput on my three-year-old Mac Air that I would, you know, deploy to the cloud. But I don't test availability locally. I test whether or not my route loaded, my, like, my validations worked, or if my, like, payloads were correct. And so for, for that type of purpose, for your quick smoke tests, it's very, very nice. And so we've been working on this now since 2017. It's very stable. The services that we, we use and, and support, we've actually used and supported now for most of that time. There, there's a few simple rules for us. It's got to be serverless. It's got to scale to zero. And it's got to be deployed with CloudFormation. And if it fits those criteria, then it's part of the architect project happily. If not, you can jump out and modify the CloudFormation yourself if you need to. And then otherwise, that's, that's really what we do. That's pretty long-winded, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Thanks, thanks. That's really interesting. I'd like to talk a little bit more about Architect. So Architect has a manifest file. Is that That's the same as the .arc file that you see in a project? Yeah, exactly. And so you could think of that as your package lock, uh, except for clouded stuff. So database tables, queues, um, Lambda functions in general, asynchronous events. Yeah. So I've got a little bit of experience with CloudFormation and then a little bit more with Terraform, which is like yep. uh, a popular alternative that supposedly works across cloud providers. So yep. looking at an ARC file, looking at a lot of examples of ARC files, they're, they're fairly terse. Like mm -hmm. they're, they don't, they're not very verbose. They, they like kind of describe exactly what they need to and not much more. Sort of in your experience, how far does that get you? Or like, when is the point that you have to start breaking out and thinking about like, okay, now I need to do some other like system primitives? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. So it depends on the app. It's, um, we've seen some pretty banana stuff out there. My ideal would be that your ARC file fits on one screen and you can, by just looking at this file, you understand probably what the app does. You know what resources it requires. You know what the database tables are and what the schemas are. You know what routes it has. You know what the parameters to those routes would be. And that's really nice. That's a property you don't get really with any other type of solution. You definitely can't read a CloudFormation document and get that kind of detail out of it. And yeah, so that's good. Begin.com is probably one of the biggest ARC files. I've worked on and it's pushing 300 lines and uh, it's fine. We've run into CloudFormation limits before we've run into ARC limits. 
the the place where I guess it falls apart is when you want to start drawing outside the lines. We're really targeting building dynamic web applications. And lately we've been calling them functional web apps because we want to be very specific when we say dynamic web application. We mean an app that's built with functions, uh, cloud functions. No Kubernetes, no load balancing, no servers, no instances. This is all scaled to zero and on demand. And um, sometimes you need those things, right? Like sometimes you need to draw outside the lines and kick up a Fargate cluster or do a long-lived workload. Or maybe you need to use AWS IoT to talk to bots that you're going to fly around or something. I don't know. So if, if you have those needs, or maybe you want to use like Kinesis is another one that comes up fairly often when people are processing large amounts of data. We have this concept we call plugins. They kind of do what you probably would expect. You can intercept at the time of deploy and you can add uh, your own cloud formation to the story and um, it'll work. And we have plugins that allow you to hook into the sandbox events so you can even mock it out locally if you want. And now the conversation pivots to begin, which is the opinionated architect framework as a service that Brian runs. So with that, maybe we can talk about your work at begin.com. Do you want to kind of explain what you're doing there uh, and how it might differ from sort of existing offers? Yeah. So begin kind of came about as a bit of a knee jerk to the stuff that we were doing with AWS. We realized that there's just a ton of common things that you need to set up when you're setting up your Amazon and we wanted to just hit the fast forward button on all that stuff and give you one interface where you could be two clicks and deployed and uh, not have to deal with all the nightmares of provisioning, not have to give them your credit card, not have to worry about your account getting blown out just to try the thing. And um, we've really evolved it quite a bit over the last couple of years since we launched it. Our our thinking is is growing more and more along the lines of like, what is the best place to build a functional web app? And, and what would that look like? And so our sort of underlying core philosophy is all about these small single responsibility Lambda functions. Our context is to build from logic up. And that's probably how we're different. So I think a lot of folks today are thinking static or they're thinking Kubernetes, basically. It's either Jamstack on one side where I pre-compute my whole app and then I put all my dynamic functionality behind a spinner, which isn't great. Or I have dynamic app, but now I've got a huge infrastructure overhead. And so in our belief, there's a third way, and it's pretty nice. And that's just to focus on building small, independent, single responsibility functions that talk to a database and get deployed with infrastructure as code. And yeah, it's our belief that begins the best place to, to do that. We're always trying to improve it, though, and there's lots of work to do. But it's it's been good, and it's quite stable, and it's growing well, and, and we're, we're pleased with the approach. If I'm being you know, blunt with myself, I'd say I kind of am surprised more people don't build this way yet. There's no need. Like, the static thing uh, has always made sense to me and is really great for that use case, but it's not really great for the dynamic web app use case. As soon as you start talking to databases, this really doesn't have a a great outcome and and for the end user experience it's quite janky and it's not really webby at that point so for me i just want to you know write html and send that to the browser and maybe progressively enhance it with just a little bit of javascript and and i don't want to run a web server to do it i still want those guarantees that i get with deploying static and so many ways i think if the structure is code is the best of both worlds you get that static deployment experience 
where you have this sort of deterministic artifact, but the underlying primitive is actually dynamic and fast. You can put a Lambda function behind a CDN just the same as a static file and it'll, it'll work great. So there's no reason to not have that. And back when computers were slower, I understand, but nowadays we don't really have that problem. So how does, how does Begin compare with something like Vercel, maybe a, a, another alternative sort of functional platform that's like sort of aiming to, to hit this like easier than AWS niche? Yeah, I think they're approaching the problem similarly, for sure. I haven't gone super deep on their platform. I'm sort of in my AWS bubble, and I'm happy with it. And so we're Begin customers, so that's probably another way that we're different. Uh, your workload is portable to your Amazon account with us. So we don't try and own your code or lock you into our platform. We've ceded control to Amazon already. <laughs> we're assuming that you have too. And in a lot of cases, I think a lot of businesses are already on Amazon. So they want something like a begin, but they still need to talk to their own cloud resources that they've already got deployed. So that's probably the biggest ways that we're different. We're, we're not focused on... Um, trying to hide a lot of this stuff with our own abstractions. Uh, we're really trying to remain as close to the metal as we can with this functional web app paradigm. I'd say the, the primary difference between us and Vercel is that we are dynamic focused and they're more static focused. And, and I think that both approaches are fine. If you're building a doc site that doesn't change and yeah, like put that shit in S3, that's great. If you're building something that talks to a database, I think we're a very compelling option. Right. And and I guess I'm assuming that given that you're explicitly running on AWS and, and even in your marketing materials, you talk about like it being, you know, specifically for AWS, that you are explicitly exposing like platform primitives, like, you know, things that Lambda would expose directly instead of trying to hide those in like some generic platform. Yeah, exactly. And and I just think that those abstractions would leak anyways. There is a hope in the future that someday we could look at this and make these workloads portable, but I don't think the other clouds have caught up yet. There's really no infrastructure as code answer that's as comprehensive right now on other platforms. They have a lot of click ops going on in the console, which to me is not the future. As for on-demand functions, really Cloudflare is kind of like the only other one that's got Steam and, and their things like their own JavaScript runtime. It's not POSIX. So it's pretty limited. And as weird as it is to say, I think this is very early. Like the industry is still quite nascent. Normally see a lot of established approaches and the players would be somewhat indiscernible from each other, but the deltas between, you know, even just AWS and Azure are huge right now. So we're very happy with Amazon. I'm uh, absolutely interested in what a multi-cloud thing would look like in the future, but we're not trying to do that right now. We're just trying to build, you know, these apps as fast as we can and as reliably as we can. Yeah. I guess the last question there before we move on, you can, I'm assuming that you can like directly just access like AWS resources. Like, <laughs> can you like just access like S3 or DynamoDB or whatever, sort of like directly well, from again? Yeah. So you can, you are limited by your arc file. So that manifest file that you create at the very beginning, that arc file, that is your infrastructure's code, will derive what's called an IAM role from that. And so if you declare uh, a database table, foo, then that arc file, all the resources in it can access foo, but nobody else can. 
And so these things can't mess with each other unless you explicitly give them permission to, and you probably don't want to do that. So it's <laughs> better it's better to have these things isolated down to least privilege and, and down to on a per application basis. There's occasional situations where you do want to punch through the wall though and talk to like, say, another database or something like that. And that's in our paid tier and that's that's what we call a, a plugin or a macro. We'll let you do that. Very rare though. And honestly, if you're talking to one database from two web apps, that's a bad spell. <laughs> Something, something's suspicious going on in that situation. You maybe want to reconsider that approach, but, but you know, yeah, we're all dads and we got to go home at five. So stuff happens. So you mentioned Arc there. Is Arc what powers begin? Is begin basically just kind of like a wrapper around Arc with some like nice defaults and some hosting? Yeah, hundred percent. It's, it's a hosted architect thing. And architect is a way of building functional web apps. It's, it's built with itself and it's deployed by itself. So it's very referential situation, but it's also stable. And some of this code is actually quite old. And, and like I said, Amazon doesn't change. So like we, we're, we're in a pretty happy place with it. I think we're, I think begin.com itself is something like 200 resources, which is close or close to the old maximum that you could have with CloudFormation. I think you can have a thousand now, but it deploys in 90 seconds, which is, I don't know. I've never had a system that scaled with this, these properties that deploys that fast and uh, it can be recreated in that same time. So if I wanted to create a branch and just try something different out, I can spin it up in a different region or something like that just to try it. Yeah, 90 seconds later, I've got it from any Shaw in the history of the repo, which is quite powerful and very useful. All right, that's it for today. The DevTools FM podcast backlog is worth going through, especially because I'm there. I've known Justin for a while and he asked the very thoughtful questions and Anthony as well. And I just really like the time that they give their guests to really go in depth about their technology. So it's worth checking out.